right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this privilege of gathering together as members of the body of Christ, Father, a body that you foreordained from eternity past to your glory. Father, thank you for the fellowship that's been afforded to us this morning in this beautiful building that you set aside for our purposes. Father, thank you for always loving us and thank you for your faithfulness towards us. We depend on it more than we even know. Father, we pray for those that can't be with us this morning that you heal them and bring them back to the fold. And you're a good timing, of course. And we pray for those that are still lost in this world, Father, that without Christ they are destined to eternity away from you, which for us is unthinkable. Father, we're most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a morning like this a reality for each one of us to rejoice in. We just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the Lord is our confidence. On Wednesday, the Spirit began with a quick reflection upon 2019 because we're just coming out of that year. Go to Romans 1.12. Romans 1 verse 12. Quick reflection for all of us to sort of be encouraged by. Wednesday was a time of encouragement. This morning is going to be another time of encouragement. Perspective. Keeping things simple. Uh, just the simple fact that we're here this morning. Um, mostly healthy, right? Mostly. <laughs> Some of us are limping and bobbing and coughing and but you know what? You're here by the grace of God. Amen? You're here. I mean, this is a beautiful thing. It doesn't get any better than breaking this bread, than dining the way we're dining right now on the very bread of life. Just remember that. Romans 1.12, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, by yours and mine. And that's the collective. That's a dynamic that God set up from eternity past. Uh, it's not a dynamic that we create on our own, even. If you really want to get down to brass tacks, that's a grace gift from God. Being able to walk in and have a uh, spiritual, godly, divine viewpoint about gathering together like this is a grace gift. Not everyone has it. If an unbeliever walks in here, they don't have it. You can almost see them wearing it in their countenance. Uh, but those of us that know the truth... Those of us that are saved, those of us that have a relationship with Christ, of course, those of us that love him, we love to see that reflected in each other. Amen? And so that's what Romans 1.12 is about. That we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. It became quickly apparent that the reason for this friendly reminder from the Spirit was to encourage us against the backdrop of this life we've been called to live. Um, some of you might be, yay, 2020. Another grind. Uh, that's unfortunate, 
But there's some, there's always some modicum of truth, right? There's always some backlash of being burnt, being tested, being persecuted, going through trials and tribulations. There's always some memory bank, right, that we draw upon uh, when we look back on a whole year. There's highs and lows. As the Spirit pointed out this past week, the yoke may be easy, but here's the thing. We are still yoked. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light, right? The idea with a yoke is that you're still yoked. And you're yoked for labor. We are still called to ministry. We are still called to labor jointly with him to his glory. Doing this in the absence of any real assistance from the world, and in fact, in the face of adversity from the world, well, is it fair to say that it's not so easy sometimes? Yeah. It's not easy standing up for Christ. Christ is almost a swear word, at least in these parts of the country. It's almost a swear word. As soon as you say that you're a Christian or that you read your Bible, uh, there's sort of a stigma, a social stigma uh, tied to it. You know, now and people get all political. Oh, you must be one of those conservative people that, you know, throw stones at gays. No. I know people that are gay and I love them. No different than I love someone that's not gay. What, what, what does that got to do with me necessarily, other than I know that it's wrong, it's a sin, and if they ask me, I'll tell them what the Bible says. But I'm not here to judge. And so we get sort of stigmatized as Christians. Um, and that's one angle, I think, one um, strategy that Satan in the kingdom of darkness uses against us to do sort of word association. Oh, you're a Christian. Are you one of those Bible-thumping Christians? Or are you one of the other kind that is cool, whose pastor is a, a homophobe, or not a homophobe, a, a homosexual woman? Are you one, which one are you? Are you the, the kind from the Bible, in other words? Or are you this perverted kind that still likes to call itself Christian? So we get a lot of kickback, and I think for those reasons alone, uh, we look back and we say, well, you know, the yoke is easy, relatively speaking, but we still hit rocks and stones and weeds as we're trying to plow this field that we've been called to plow. And so it's okay to say, uh, you know, you're not a, I almost said a spiritual midget. <laughs> you're not a spiritual midget because you look back on 2019 and there's some pain involved. There's some recognition of, of um, you know, suffering at the hands of this world. That's legitimate. It's supposed to be there. There's nothing wrong with you. And that in itself is encouraging. But beyond that, the Spirit gave us a bunch of Holy Scripture, which is really the sweetest nectar of all, to encourage us. Let's do a quick review. Go to Psalm 55, 22. Psalm 55, verse 22. Psalm 55, 22. <clears throat> Reads what? Cast your burden on the Lord, 
and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. In other words, if you stand in righteousness, you become immovable. Why? Because you're standing in the truth, and the truth is immutable. The Word of God never changes, which means it's absolutely divinely steadfast. So if you stand in that truth, you stand and join in that steadfastness. And that's what that's saying there. How about up here on the board? Psalm 145:14. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Well, that's very encouraging as well. How about Matthew 11:28? Go there. Matthew 11:28. And I'm going to go quickly because these are all points of review from Wednesday. And I know everyone in here, even if you weren't here, listen to Wednesday's message because you're that dedicated. Why is everybody smiling and turning sideways? Here goes the body language. Yeah, I did. Is he looking at us? Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think a lot of people misconstrue that as thinking you're going to be skipping through the daisies once you're saved. If anything, the heat gets turned up. But because you're protected by the Word of God, because you're supernaturally enabled by God the Holy Spirit, in that sense it becomes easier. Up here on the board, John 16, 33 I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. That's the great strength, is it not? Regardless of where you're at in your life, the types of trials you're up against, if you have peace, you're transcendent. Nobody can touch you at that point. What can mere man do to you if God is for you? You know what? You ready? Nothing. That's what? Nothing. And the sooner you realize that, the better off you are. He said, I have said these things to you as he was teaching him, these things, that in me you have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And that's where our confidence comes from. How about Hebrews 12, 1? Go there. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Hebrews 12, 1. And all this should be very encouraging to all of us. Hebrews 12.1, we are encouraged to press on. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In other words, I've already shown you the way to plow through this life. I became a man myself and plowed through this life. If I can do it, you can do it. Same 
power source that Jesus used is available to us. He used the power of God, the Holy Spirit, to live out his life. Of course, he did it perfectly, granted. But who was more persecuted, him or you? There you go. Just know that someone, our forerunner, has gone before us. Our prototype has gone before us. And that should be very encouraging. It means it's possible to be done. 2 Timothy 3.12 up here on the board. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. End of story. You will be persecuted. How about John 15.18? If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So we have to reconcile these things, right? With the fact that he says, my yoke is easy. Boy, that doesn't sound too easy. Not by world standards. Not by fleshly standards. This sounds tough. And in that sense, it is. But we're talking about transcendent realities, my friends. Go to 1 Peter 4.12. 1 Peter 4.12. That is the trick, if you want to call it that. It's not the right word, but you know what I'm saying. That is the secret, if you would, to the spiritual life. Living a transcendent life. A life where your focus and your mindset is above the things of this world. Read Colossians 3 when you go home. It's above the things of this world. You're up here. And all the riffraff and the, and the, and the barbs and the, and the harsh words and the, and the attacks and all that kind of stuff, you know what? They're down here. You're up here on the mountain. And they can't touch you. You're untouchable. It isn't until you get tricked into walking down the mountain and you jump in there and all of a sudden you're getting your you're behind handed to you on a regular basis and you're weeping and you're crying out and you're praying to God and God's saying, I've been trying, that's why I sent the bald guy your way. So you could be encouraged to walk back up the hill. You have free access, everybody down there doesn't. You do. Why don't you walk up the hill? Come back up here where nobody can touch you. First Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. How about 2 Corinthians 12.10 up here on the board? For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. How about up here on the board, Luke 6.22. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Blessed are you. Figure that out. Go to Matthew 5.10. Matthew 5, verse 10. See, this is a complete change of mind. That's why uh, the Bible tells us to have our minds transformed. This doesn't even happen overnight, my friends. It just doesn't. That's why it requires what we call theologically sanctification, being set apart progressively. Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter 
all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Go to 1 Peter 3.14. 1 Peter 3.14. This should all be very encouraging. Very encouraging. And it was all planned, you know? This was all planned. This isn't, you know, happenstance. Oh, wow, geez, God forgot about my measly little life. I'm over here suffering. No, you're suffering per the plan of God. That's what brings glory to God. The fact that you can overcome in this ridiculous world. That you're able to transcend, not on your own accord, but on His, by grace. That brings glory to God. 1 Peter 3.14 But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And that's just sort of a mindset, a walking mindset. If you're transcendent, my friends, you don't have to drop the hockey gloves. Do you understand? You take a higher ground. You don't need to run down the mountain, punch a few lights out, and run back up. You can stay right up there and pray for these people. How about that? They can throw stones at you and you say, whatever. You're weak. I'm not. I'm up here. You're not going to touch me. You're not going to rattle me because I stand in the truth. The truth is steadfast, and therefore I am. And that was the encouragement we got at the start of the message. So that was the start of our New Year's Day message. That was back Wednesday. Again, Romans 1.12, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. As an additional form of encouragement, the Spirit reminded us of the fact that we have a higher calling. And that higher calling isn't a chore. It gives us purpose. Higher calling gives us purpose. Some of you are like, oh, higher calling, that means there's to-dos. No, it gives you purpose. You have purpose in this life. If you look around, honestly, if you look around, you look at people that don't even, they don't even, they, the big question, right, the age-old question, what is the meaning of life? Well, we have it. We understand that eternal life is in Christ Jesus. We already know the meaning of life. It's Him. They don't. So they're searching frantically. What is the meaning of life? What am I doing? Why am I so insecure? Why am I anxious? Why am one day I'm up and the next day I'm down? Why do I have no stability in my life? Why do I feel like I have any purpose? Why do I keep changing jobs or grasping for straws or changing people in my life? Why do, why do I keep doing this thing? What am I searching for? You're searching for purpose, and you don't have it until you have Christ. That's the whole point. You get some manufactured version that fractured the first time someone goes like this. Done. Oh, you put all your self-esteem in this thing. You know what I'm saying? I don't mean to pick on any, but women, some, women are encouraged to do it in their beauty, right? Put all your self-esteem in the beauty, and then you turn 40 years old, and you're like... Right? And I'm saying, you know, that's not the only thing that sags, right? So you're sagging all over the joint, right? Oh, wait, I'm talking about like your eyelashes. What's wrong with you people? Up here! I'm up here! <laughs> right?
right? Moving on. So you guys get lied to. And as soon as someone says, oh, you know what? There's a cute little 18-year-old here that makes you look like a turd. Right? Next thing you know, what happens? You hit the bottle, you're doing everything, you're out there doing stupid stuff to try to prove that you still got it. It's a complete trap. Why? Because you don't have that purpose. If you have Christ, you understand very differently. You understand very differently. The most beautiful women I know are the oldest ones. And they're in this church. Seriously. Right? And that may be weird to people, but it's the absolute truth. Because I see in them what I'm going to see a heck of a lot closer in heaven than I do in others. Because they've been at this for so long. They have so much wisdom. They're beaming Christ Jesus every time they walk in the door. They're beaming. It's one of the things I used to, not to bring up a sad subject, I used to love that about Bill Johnson. He used to walk in, he was always smiling, he was happy. Why? He said, I have Jesus. Basically, I love Christ. What else, what else can you do? That and a little uh, Chardonnay and I'm good. <laughs> kidding. Lois like, yep. I'm just kidding. Right? People like that have a purpose. That's what we want to get to. That's a beautiful thing, and it's also transcendent. Therefore, I call it a higher calling. And you know what? That higher calling predates human history. Started before you were even born, before Adam and Eve were even created. Go to Romans 8.28 if you don't believe me. Romans 8.28. Sorry, ladies, to pick on you like that. I could have picked on men, but obviously I'm in a mood. Men, I mean, men are just as bad. All right, men. Hey, go be a CEO. Go get some muscles. Go prance around the beach like a moron. Oh, why'd it get so quiet? <laughs> wow, at least you ladies laughed about yourselves. Men are like, whoa, 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 he's onto us, gents. All right? <laughs> uh, Romans 8, 28. That stuff, all, the point is that stuff always fails. It will fail you Every single time. That's the point. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew. That's speaking about before they were even born. Before human history even was. He foreknew. He also predestined. Set your destiny in motion to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also, there's your calling, he called, he called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't that funny? I just mentioned that about 10 minutes ago. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Good question. Really good question. Maybe that's something you all need to ponder on the way home or at home. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also give with him graciously give us all things? Uh, gr graciously give us all things. I don't know. It's a good question. 
The net-net statement from Wednesday's message up here on the board is this very truth, that we have been called. We just read it. We have been called. We are to act the part. We are to act the part. John 15, 16, Romans 8, 28, 11, 29, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 27, Ephesians 4, 1 to 4, 5, 1 to 16, 1 Thessalonians 2, 12, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 to 12, 2 Peter 1, 10. For starters, we've been called, and we're to act the part. So I want to review this from Wednesday. This time I do it in order, John. John Gardner. Because I got hate, hate looks on Wednesday because I did them out of order. John's like, oh, this is ridiculous. He didn't do any of that. Go, uh, I'd be on the board. <laughs> John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you again. We have been called. We are to act the part. How about Romans 8.28? We just read this and we know that uh, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. How about 11.29? For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. They are promises. They are grace gifts. Go to 1 Corinthians 1.26. 1 Corinthians 1.26. So you have to get a sense of your calling that your calling is higher, and in fact, it's actually transcendent. And before human history even began, you were called. You were elected, let's put it that way. Elected to live out this calling on your life. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Go to Ephesians 4, 1. Ephesians 4, verse 1. We are called. We are to act the part. That's not a religious statement. That is a form of encouragement. Ephesians 4, 1. Verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. A manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Up here on the board, how about Ephesians 5.16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I think we're going to get back to that in a moment. But that's the, that was the pivot point uh, that launched a lot of uh, this message in the last one, that we make the best use of the time because the days are evil. That means living in, abiding in that higher calling. Go to uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 12. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 12. 
Okay, none of this should be, uh, you know, new to you, obviously. These are just all passages that are meant to encourage us. That's what they're there for. That's what's lovely about reading your Bible, is you don't just get beat down with commands, you get encouraged. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. How about 2 Thessalonians 1.11? 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11. <clears throat> this gives us perspective on who's actually doing the heavy lifting here. It's not us. We're not religious. We don't do this on our own, or with our own power source. We do it by the grace of God. 2 Thessalonians 1.11 To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power. By His power. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's very encouraging as well because it proves to us that He does the heavy lifting. We have to show up, we have to make decisions, but he does all the real work, right? It's like when Paul said, I worked more than all the other apostles, but it was the grace of God in me. Up here on the board, 2 Peter 1.10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall doesn't mean you're not going to fall temporarily. It means fall from grace, fall from salvation even. Again, up here on the board, we have been called. That is the point. We ought to act the part. I gave you the lyrics of an old favorite song of mine on Wednesday. I'll just give you the chorus this time. It's called All In by Stella Cart. If you can find it, it's good. I still have the CD somewhere uh, in my house if you ever want to borrow it. That I am not ashamed, won't walk away, not trying to disguise or either... Uh, ever, excuse me, ever hide the reason that I chose to be a fool. For the one who saved my life, I won't apologize. I won't apologize. Go to Romans 1.16. When I read that, it reminds you of Romans 1.16. I'm not going to apologize for who I am in Christ Jesus. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. The only thing that really matters when you truly get down to it is that you're saved. Todd and I and... Uh, Alice, my mom, uh, were talking before class uh, when it was just the three of us. And, you know, we, we, all, we have crazy family members. Who doesn't, though, right? I mean, some of you, you know, everybody's got crazy family members, right? Um, and at the end of the day, though, does all, the, does all that static and the white noise and the craziness, you know what I get from, when I hear? I hear, like, you remember Charlie Brown's teachers? Wah, 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 wah. When I hear about all the details, it starts getting. I listen, then at some point it starts going wah, 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 wah. I'm like, oh, yep. I'm like, all I hear is they're not saved. They have no affection whatsoever for Jesus Christ. There's two categories of people. That is it. You'll do well to think in these terms. Doesn't mean you become a snob. Doesn't become you become digital like you know James or Will Robinson. Doesn't mean any of that. It means at the end of the day, the only thing that matters, given life is. Life is like, there's a piece of 
Ah, oh, man, I hate to say this, but it looks like dandruff. <laughs> Judgmental people. There's a piece of dandruff, right? There it goes. You're right, sir. Look at, oh. Some of you are like, I actually saw it. It was that big, you gross person. Right? <laughs> See, there. <laughs> just kidding. There's no way you saw that. Liars, right? There's a piece of dandruff, right? Go down to Horseneck Beach and throw that on the beach. That's your life compared to eternity. It doesn't even matter. What matters is, are you saved or are you not saved? Is Uncle Jimmy saved or is he not saved? That's all that matters in this life. Everything in between starts going, wah, 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 wah. And we, we worry about the details, right? And, and we get so wrapped up in it, we, we, we become anti this that we lose our sense of being all in for Christ, that we start apologizing to unbelievers who have no affection whatsoever for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm not talking down. I'm just saying, hey, stand your ground. You're the victor here. Stand your ground. Don't get all puffed up. But never compromise. Don't ever be ashamed of who you are in Christ Jesus. That's the best thing in you. It's the only thing that matters about you. Oh, you think you're all that? You're one of those? You're still clinging to the early days, huh? Still clinging to all that garbage? Still doing that thing, huh? Still go doing the, the, the club? Whatever it is, people, people don't even go to the club anymore. Are there even the clubs anymore? John? What about those rap songs you listen to? Is it true? <laughs> All of a sudden, we become ashamed. What are we doing? How do we, how do we, in Christ, victors in Christ, called to a higher standing, to a family that is royalty, how do we get put up back on our heels? How do we accept that as correct? And then when we take that posture, now we take on the shame that's assigned to it. How does that happen? Romans 1.16. Paul wrote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Far be it. May it never be. Amen? I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, though you probably have from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Don't ever allow this world to put you on your heels. All right, stepping back now. All that is meant to encourage you in the new year. Big picture stuff. Our series is titled Part 56 so far. The Lord is our confidence. The Lord is our confidence. What we've learned to date is very simple. Humility, as always, is the key to the spiritual life. This we know. You've got to show up, people. Applied humility is effectively obedience. When you hear the truth, when you hear the commands of God, you obey. So humility is the key. Applied humility is obedience. Obedience facilitates sanctification, being set apart for God's purposes, walking in a manner worthy of your calling, all that. And then sanctification, that thing, being right with God, leads to confidence in Christ. Being on that track, understanding what you know to be true through the Word of God, that's where you get your confidence. You can take that garbage, cruddy, I got much choice of verbs, or words, 
but I'm not going to use them. You can take that self-esteem of yours and throw it in the garbage. Literally. Punt it. Take it out and punt it downfield. So you, you can keep this thing. You can keep all this, these lies you've been peddling me my whole life about me. I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm not going to apologize for being who I am in Christ Jesus. I'm going to walk up the mountain, and I'm going to share my victory with Christ Jesus and everybody else who has it straight, and I'm going to be confident up there. That's what the Spirit's been saying, 56 parts. Obviously, we're pretty slow learners, but that's what he's been saying. Humility, obedience, sanctification, confidence. So if we had to string all this together into some kind of conclusion, we might get the principle we closed with, just one variant. We closed with this on Wednesday. When we're obedient, we're confident. When we're obedient, we're confident. Anyone or anything that incites us to disobedience ought to be categorically thrown out of our lives. I don't know how else to say it. We noted uh, Mark 9, 43 to 18. Let's see a sister passage. Go to Matthew 18, 7. Matthew 18, 7. Anyone or anything that tries to take you, tries to uh, seduce you away from your affections for Christ Jesus, throw them the hell out. And if you can't get them out, call me up. I will gladly do it with you. How about that? Someone's bothering you? Call me up. I could, I could go for a good scrap. That's not biblical, by the way. I'm just being a wise guy. Right? But I would protect you like that. You should know that. Matthew 18.7 Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, what did Jesus say? Cut it off. Anything that does this thing to you, get rid of it. Cut it off. Don't tolerate it. Don't make an excuse for it. Certainly don't justify it. Don't do that thing. Cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. What Jesus is basically saying is simple. Sin and sanctification are polar opposites. Sin and sanctification are polar opposites. God's trying to sanctify you last time we checked, right? If you choose sin over righteousness, it thwarts that sanctification. It frustrates the plan of God. That is the point. Get rid of it. And any time that plan is frustrated, you know, the plan that's leading you towards uh, uh, abiding in God's, the sphere of God, anything that thwarts that is against you, is against the better things for you, the higher calling, the blessings, all of it. That thing is keeping you from the end goal. You'd almost be silly not to cut it out and throw it away, like yesterday. Hmm. Again, the point of the board, 
When we're obedient, we're confident. Anyone or anything that incites us to disobedience ought to be categorically thrown out of our lives. That might be people. It usually is. Is that fair? Does everybody raise their hands? Who would say that it's probably people? Yeah, right? Everybody. <laughs> Everybody's like, yep. I, get, I just have bad people in my life. Old friends. Uh, you know, some of you just need to get the heck off of social media. I mean like now. Just get off of it. I'm not saying everybody. Some of you can handle it. But a lot of you can't. Right? How about the internet? Tam and I were talking about this the other day. If you were to real, I'm not in some of you, I need the internet for work. Okay. Take the work stuff out. Take the uh, church stuff out. Leave everything. What's left? No, really. Is it typically good or is it garbage in the soul? Honestly, if it's not work and it's not church, what good is the internet? I'm saying, right? Is that fair? Because you're over there, what? Surfing what? What are you surfing for? I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know. Right? And just so you know, it's all getting tracked. I'm a gearhead, right? I'm an engineer. I'm an internet engineer at that. I understand how they do all this stuff. It gets tracked. Every little click you think you're doing, it's all tracked. And don't, be, don't, be, don't think you, that's not going to come back at some point. When, when uh, things need to be controlled at a very high level, that you can't be uh, pressured. Oh, it seems here five years ago you were surfing the net for XYZ. Is this true? Some of you are like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just saying, not that that really should matter, not that that should be your motivation, but just know that that stuff exists. So this brings us back to a pivotal verse from the past few messages up here on the board. I kind of alluded to it earlier. Ephesians 5, 15, 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. In other words, that's your calling. It's like saying, hey, you've got a calling on your life. Make the best use of it. It's a grace gift. What's beautiful about this kind of big picture thinking is that we see the entire landscape of our lives all at once. That's the idea. That you look at your life, right? You've been given 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Look at it. How are you using that time? Internet's probably a perfect example. How many hours do you spend on the internet doing basically stuff that brings zero glory to God? Right? What's seducing you? Who are you seducing? Who are you trying to seduce? Who's trying to seduce you? What's actually going on when you're out there doing that thing, you know, filling in the time? What are you doing? Right? That's the beauty of this big picture thinking. When you hear something so plain, make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Look at your life. Right? And I'm not trying to press you down into some guilt-ridden tail between your legs back in the parking lot message. This is just being honest. Like, you know, naked before the Lord. Just saying, oh yeah, this is, this is my life. This is how I am. Uh, when you do that, you begin to see exactly what it means when the Bible says His commands are not burdensome. When you do that, when you take that step back, 
You realize that the commands are there for your own good. What you begin to abide in uh, is this righteous thinking that commandments are actually blessings. You start to realize that, wait a minute, the commandments are the things that actually protect me from all those pitfalls. If you step back and look at your whole life, the times that you obeyed God, that's when he was steering you away from that big pothole, that disaster, you know, waiting to happen. It looks just like the one you had a few years ago and the one you had a few years before that. Or in some of your cases, you're so rapid, a few days ago and a few days before that and a few days before that. It looks just to say his commands steer you away from it. It says, hey, listen, it's time to grow up. It's time to walk in a manner that's worthy of your calling. Let's walk out of that disaster. Let's stop architecting our lives towards yet another disaster. Let's architect it away from all that. Let's keep our eyes on Christ, just like the Bible says. If God wants to bring a certain something or even someone into your life, let Him do it. Stop searching for it. Stop trying to find it. Go after Christ. To help give that statement some legs up here on the board, that commandments are actually blessings, there are two good sides of obedience. Blessings that accompany obedience, Galatians 5, 22 to 23, that's the fruit of the Spirit, and then riddance of the fruit of disobedience, Galatians 5, 18 to 21. Go there quickly. Galatians 5, let's go Galatians 5, 19. Galatians 5, 19, quickly. We still have a communion service this morning. Galatians 5, 19. Two good sides of obedience. This is what is so awesome about obedience. You don't just get net new. You jettison old. You jettison the stuff that's like an anchor, and you take on the thing that lifts you up. Galatians 5.19, starting with the anchor. Now the works of the flesh are evident. These are the things you need to get away from. Do you understand, my friends? These are the things you need to steer away from. This is the things that the Word of God steers you away from. The commandments of God steers you away from. Sexual, that sex shouldn't even be in your brain unless you're married. Sex is for marriage. That's the end of it. End of story. Get away from it. Stop searching for it. Stop looking at it on the internet. Stop doing whatever you're doing in your free time in that front. Get rid of it. Cut it off. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, that's interesting. The first three words have all to do with sexual sins. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity. I just heard my mother just said someone invited her to a sorcery type thing. Yeah. And she went. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That gray dust on her forehead. I'm like, Mom, what is that? I'm kidding. I'm just trying to loosen you up because you guys are like, you know, when you get by the sexual ones, everybody gets like this. Sorcery, enmity, stripe, jealousy. Some of you can't even go outside without being jealous of your neighbor. Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How do you get that? Obedience. That's how. Stay within the plan of God. Stay on track. Get rid of the stuff that's dragging you down. Anything or anyone. Cut them out. Cut it off. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Okay? That's that point on the board. Two good sides of obedience. As we venture... A little further, up out of this mine shaft, this deep dive we've been on, 56 parts, folks, a long time we've been studying. The Lord is our confidence. Here's a recurring principle from months ago regarding encouragement and confidence up here on the board. Be encouraged. Ephesians 5, 9, 13 to 14. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. That means it's good. Knowing, just knowing the truth, especially about ourselves, that's light. And that's good. Light is good. Light pushes out. Light extinguishes darkness. Lying about ourselves is what we call darkness. Light turns on. We read the Bible. The light turns on. Oh, you stand there naked. You got warts all over the place, sores, open sores. Okay. It's ugly, but at least I see the truth. At least I have the ability now to confess said truth before the holy God of the universe, the one who saw fit to save me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's what that means. For anything that becomes visible is light, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We must learn to differentiate between God's economy and Satan's. We are blessed when we do. Here's another slide from our series regarding direction and therefore affection. Philippians 3.8, Amplified Classic. Yes, furthermore, I count everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him, of perceiving and recognizing and understanding Him more fully and clearly. For His sake I have lost everything and consider it all to be mere rubbish. The Greek word is skubalon, dung, refuse, dregs, anything. All that stuff that I had to cut out of my life, who cares? All the stuff that fell to the wayside when I simplified. Wait a minute, you mean this, this life we live is really just about the gospel? The gospel is the Machaira, right? The gospel says, like Hebrews 4.12, you're over here and you're over here. Wheat tears. You mean this is what the Bible keeps talking about, just this one simple thing? Yep. Yep. Anything that distracts me from that viewpoint muddies the water, tries to, like, you know, get a couple of things together, you know, playing a few games and, you know, whatever. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Doesn't mean you can't try to evangelize people, especially those you love. Some of you are thinking about your family members right now. Oh, man, I got people on, I got tears in my family. I got a ton of them. Go evangelize them then. Get off the internet. Find a way. Go spend some time with them. There's a thought. Go spend some... Don't have to be friends with them that way, like the Bible says. You don't become friends with them and use an excuse. Oh, I'm, I'm friends with them because I'm trying to evangelize them. I'm dating them because I'm trying to evangelize them. Oh, stop. Enough of the garbage. Enough of the garbage, right? 
This is what's being said, though. All of that is worthless junk. In order that, what? I may win or gain Christ, the anointed one. That's perspective for you. Very encouraging in terms of affection and direction. Another principle from the past on purpose up here on the board, on the topic of having purpose, your life is value. God has given each of us a gift called life. It is our precious opportunity to bring glory to God on earth. How shall we use it? How shall we spend our God-given resources? In which economy are we merchandising in? Remember all that study? That was maybe, oh, probably 30 parts ago, maybe, at this point, 20, 30 parts ago. But that was when we were talking about the economy. The fact that if you spend time in Satan's economy, you lose your confidence. You lose your peace. You lose your right standing before God. You have to confess. You have to accept everything is light. You have to confess it before the holy God of the universe to get back to him. Right? It's not digital. You know what I'm saying. It's this thing, getting back to God, understanding when you're in that economy that bears no good fruit. Think of Galatians 5. If God has the market cornered on everything good, love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, etc., all the fruit of the Spirit, what is left? All the garbage. All the garbage. So which economy do we function in and just recognize that your life has value? Like any endeavor in this life, we require training. So on the topic of training, in the past, this is an old principle, why read your Bible? The Word of God never returns empty-handed. We saw that in Isaiah 55, 11. It is perfect in its quest to set you free. It is, therefore, the greatest possible investment we can ever make with whatever precious resources God has given us, our soul, our time, our gratitude. Just for the sake of starkness. Internet, Bible. Right? I mean, internet, Bible. Should we even put those in the same sentence? Does it even deserve to be on the same plane? No. It should be more like internet, Bible. <laughs> right? should be that. That's how we look at it. How do we spend our time? With the new year upon us, I ask you to step back and take a good, long, hard look at your life in the vector you are currently on. Vector, if you know anything about physics, is there's direction and velocity, right? There's direction and speed, if you want to call it that, on a, on a vector. How fast are you going? Where are you pointed, and how fast are you going towards that destination? Is that destination Jesus Christ, and you're being sanctified like no other time in your life? Ooh, that's awesome. Or just maybe you've turned away from Christ, and you're beginning to speed up in a direction that accelerates away from him. I don't, only you can answer that. What the Spirit's trying to say is, get it right. You want the fruit of the Spirit, starting with love in your life. A lot of, sadly, loveless people out there, they don't feel loved, they don't have love, they're void, if you would, of this love that we're all after. Why? Because they've been racing away from Christ. They've been racing away from their own creator. If it's pointed away from, if this vector of yours is pointed away from a life built on Christ's commandments, because that's the rubber hits the road, then there's no better time 
than the present to make adjustments. I mean, it's the new year, right? Everybody's in that sort of spirit. There's no better time to make adjustments. Be encouraged. God's promises are true. And by the way, be confident. God is not a God of confusion, but rather of peace. If you want this transcendent life to be yours, then obedience is the key, motivated by love. It turns out that this love, God's love, that ultimately binds, us, uh, binds our confidence to Christ. And again, it's what leads us to obey in the first place, this love. It's what binds us to our confidence to Christ. But it's funny because it's what leads us to obey in the first place. That's why it's easiest to think about the sphere of love. It's not even just sequential. It's obedience and love are in the same, like Jesus, right? If you keep my commandments, you abide my love, remember? It's easy to think of it that way because they're intrinsically bound. It doesn't even necessarily matter which comes first. It's that they come together. As we mature, it gets to the point that we don't even think about obeying. We just do. It's this transcendent love for Christ that gathers everything up in our lives and puts it all into perspective. And once this happens, we are rightly oriented to the Father whose plan for us is set forth in the Bible, sometimes in the form of commands, but also at times through just plain perspective, doctrine, morality, etc. This is our introduction to the Father. Something Christ stated occurs through himself. Go quickly to Luke 10, 22. And I've got to pick a spot now because we've got to get on with uh, communion service. Got a ways to go. Probably not going to finish. We'll just jump in. Luke 10, 22. So our introduction is through Christ to the Father. Luke 10.22 All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So you don't get to know the Father except through the Son. You don't get to circumvent Christ like some religions, some even so-called Christian religions say you can. The only way you get to know, and I'm talking about that no, not the, oh, I know there's God. I'm talking about that intimate no that we've talked to in the past, talked about in the past. The only way you know the Father is through the Son. Go to John 8, 19. John 8, 19. So this is our introduction to the Father. Kind of hard to orient to the Father's will if you don't know Him. John 8, 19. Again, these are all big picture items now. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Pretty plain language. How about John 10, 37? John 10, verse 37. John 10, 37, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. 
Again, these passages validate the fact that it is through Christ, he is our mediator, that we understand the Father. When we understand the Father and the Son, think of it this way and I'll close. When we understand the Father and the Son, we understand the sphere of love. I call it the sphere of God even, because they're one and the same, because God is love, right? Courtesy, we understand this courtesy of the powerful ministry of God the Holy Spirit. So you see that all three persons of the Holy Trinity educate us on the topic of love because all three are God. This is our old friend up here on the board. God will not fail us. God is love, 1 John 4.16. Love never fails. All three persons orchestrated around this very thing. Saving us in love orchestrating our lives in love, and then leading us to love ultimately. That's the end goal of sanctification. To usher us back to where we were before it all fractured in the garden. To get to that place where we had perfect, unadulterated love with our Creator. Is that not perfect? Is that not awesome? That's what this is all about, my friends. We don't get there in this lifetime, but we get closer and closer and closer. We don't get there perfectly in this life, but we progress towards it. Again, God is love. Love never fails. It is the same love that becomes us when we share in it experientially, when we learn the word of God. One last verse, and then we got to go to communion. Go to click, quickly Colossians three fourteen. Let's just see what the power of love. Not to that sounds like Huey Lewis, right? Let's just see what the the power of love. That's the power. That's wrong. At least you guys are laughing though, right? Life is good. Come on, life is good. It is. We're ridiculous. But life is good. Colossians 3.14 Beyond all these things, put on love. At the end of the day, you want to transcend life itself. Beyond all this, you know, it's like kind of that, that big picture thinking. Beyond all that messiness down, it's like beyond all, beyond all this stuff. Put on love. In duo, remember in duo, put on Christ, put on love. Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Love is the tie that binds us. Not perverted love. Not the club love. Not, that, not any of that. Not romantic love. None of that. Christ's love. Christ's love is the perfect bond of unity. That goes, by the way, inside and outside of marriage. Christ's love is the perfect bond of unity. I'll give you... Uh, the ESV version, right? Above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In perfect harmony. And then look at verse 15. We'll read it and then I'll close, I swear. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. In other words, read your Bible. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. 
with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And I'll close with this before we partake in communion service. We have the most confidence when we know we're rightly oriented to our Father in heaven through Christ, His Son, our Lord and Savior. We know we're right when our convictions are founded in the word of truth. We stand on this truth when we take it in in humility, beginning with reading our Bibles daily. This is not only the right way to be set free, to be sanctified, and turn, or in turn bring glory to God, but you know what? It's precisely the way Jesus lived his life. It's precisely the way Jesus lived his life. Okay, let's get ready for communion service, gentlemen. Cue up a little music. Consider the fact that um, Jesus was born to die. Consider the fact that God sent his only son so that we might have eternal life. Consider the fact that without his spiritual death, his substitution on the cross, the good plan of God the Father would never be satisfied. That all of this was orchestrated. That you were called, predestined, this whole thing was foreordained before any of us were even born. All of it orchestrated and architected by God the Father. Think of the privilege of getting to know that through the Son. No one else has that opportunity. There are a lot of people in this world that think they know God, and they don't. You have to go through the Son. Think about that. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord... What I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of the person of Jesus Christ. Let's eat the bread. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the cup in remembrance of his work. The Bible says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for the privilege of studying your word here this morning. Thank you for truth that sets us free. Thank you for ordaining communion service in our lives so that we have that special time of remembering all that he accomplished on our behalf, Father. We just ask for your blessings as we take all that we've learned here this morning and all that we've celebrated back to our homes in the quiet of our own souls and the privacy of our own homes. We also ask for your encouragement and your strength and your power as we take these truths out to a lost and dying world, Father. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.